everybody. And at, no, you, you know that's not Georgia. This is Norman again from Ult the Ultimate Fashion History, who is gracing us with his presence for another How Betty Davis Saved My Life: Life Lessons from Classic Hollywood. We are so happy to jo you could join us today. I am Moya, and I'll let this man introduce himself. Hi, I'm Norman, and it's really nice to be back. Um, I can't wait to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today. So let's have at it. Yes. So our movie today is Shadow of a Doubt from Alfred Hitchcock. And um, of, of course, we're going back in time like we always do with our movies. And I am cannot wait to get into this with Norman. But before we get into that, Norman, you started, so the, the it's been about three weeks, I think, since we were together, and, and shout out to Tom and the rest of, um, of the UFH crew and all the wonderful Facebook pages that we are a part of, um, but it's about been about three weeks, and you did something in those um, three weeks. <laughs> no, I just thought I was going to start a page that was going to be more focused on sort of like the post that I do on Ultimate Fashion History that just kind of focused on like Friday film fashion kind of segment. Um, I've only kind of, I've been kind of negligent about really keeping it up, but uh, you know, it's kind of fun to, you know, when you first get started, it takes a little bit of momentum and I'm just not really good at promoting anything right now. Um, but yeah, it's been kind of fun. It's, it's basically a rip off of what I already do on uh, <laughs> ultimate fashion history. There's nothing earth shattering here, but I do love fashion. I love costumes in, in fashion movies and uh, in the history and stuff like that. So it's just a, a forum for me to play. And um, I don't know why it's not showing your latest post, but, and you are preaching to the choir. I am the worst at social media and promotion. I, ugh, I totally suck. Um, and apologies to our audience and the people who follow us. Yeah, I, I wish we would po uh, post more, but I direct you to the ultimate fashion history and Norman's page, because look at this. I wonder what it let me, well, first of all, of you, those of you, hi, those of you who listen to us on um, audio only, hello to you. And what we're looking at right now is Norman, Norman, Norman's Facebook page, film fashion Fridays. And um, he has, he had a, I don't know why it's not up, it's not updating. Um, maybe I, I don't, I don't want to mess it up. But if you go there, he's also posted some beautiful clothes by Grace Kelly. And who was the designer for her? For whom? For Grace Kelly. And because you had some of her movies and. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, uh, that was for, I believe, Dial M for Murder. It was an English gentleman. Okay. Um, and I'm going to have to look it up. I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot that. But that Grace Kelly and that, uh, Dial M for Murder has a great orangey red dress that just looks fantastic on her. Um, and part of it is because it's supposed to symbolize the fact that she has been an adulteress. And that's what yeah. kind of sparked off everything. Huh. Right. So the, the color of the dress really has a lot to do with the plot and, and the point of the, of the thing. So I kind of like that kind of stuff, you know. Absolutely. And I think you also uh, also posted some stuff from um, High Society that lavender, well, look lavender, lavender to me. That lavender gown she had on, and that just absolutely beautiful. And and I, I, I don't know why my thing. Maybe if I update it later, but um, so he has Grace Kelly's um outfits from some of her movies is on there. But we're looking at his post with the one and only Vivian Lee, 
when she was in Anna Karenina. And I love, I love that story, period. I saw it with Garbo and then I saw yeah. it with Vivian Lee. Yeah. And um the clothes, oh my gosh. Look at look at these clothes, the the just mountains of uh or what do they call that? Not Rushing. Rushing and or, organza. Is that it? Is that a yeah. Um, and this is Cecil Beaton. Cecil Beaton was like the, you know, famous art director in the 30s, multiple, multiple awards. I think one of the last things he did was My Fair Lady, which oh, was okay. uh, you know, obviously fantastic. So he had a long, successful career doing this. Um, and you can tell, you can you can see why. And we rarely talk about jewels, not that we don't want to talk about jewels, but Right here, the jewels are being showcased. So for those of you who are listening, uh, the audio, uh, Vivian Lee's Anna Karenina has this pearl choker on. And Norma, you probably know this. The studios, they would sometimes get real stuff because depending oh, yeah. on the director, they yeah. want like authenticity, yeah. right? No, they would often rent them, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it also would be like kind of advertising, you know, for the stores. Yes. Obviously, it's kind of like product Ooh, placement. Um, but they also had warehouses full of like sets and things, you know, they were making movies for quite some time. So they had, you know, they had costume stuff too. So, um, but I think here they definitely went out and rented that at, you know, Winston's or whoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's unfortunate when a studio collapsed, the studio system collapsed, a lot of this stuff either got lost or auctioned and uh, then they had a fire and a lot of these beautiful gowns and, uh, costumes just got lost or destroyed is and can you believe that i know well briefly we should mention that um for a little bit of time debbie reynolds um had a uh was an uh curating a lot of these things a lot of hollywood stuff and and had a museum for a brief moment in time i don't think she uh was able to run very long with that i don't think it was profitable and it it didn't last but she was really valiantly trying to you know collect and save and archive a lot of this stuff so Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, kudos to her, the late, uh, great Debbie Reynolds. Kudos yeah. to her. Um. And so now we are going to get to shadow of a doubt. But yeah. so when I was um asking Norma to join, join me um in, in Georgia stead, you know we were going back. What movie she was in? I didn't, I didn't want to send Norman like. 30, 40 movies. I said, all right, pick one. He's like, oh, are you kidding? So we narrowed it down, we narrowed it down to film the war, shadow of a doubt. Then Norma's like, well, no, Norma's like, well, let's do double and dim. Just like, oh man, we did that one already. I said, but I'll talk about it again. Um, and you know, Hitchcock did not do both of these movies, you know, those of us who know, but but we just I wanted to get a male's point of view about uh double indemnity and especially Walter Neff's character um mm-hmm. fred mcmorris so for those of you just real quickly norman just tell them what double indemnity is about if for those who don't know what it is yeah so uh fred mcmorris plays a insurance salesman who's you know a little a little shady um <laughs> not not completely up stand up right guy um and he gets involved with a woman who um, has an unfortunate husband who's kind of in the way, uh, and she she gets the idea that you know maybe they can together uh, off her husband and uh, you know do a little insurance scam, and it goes it goes south from there as, as you might predict. So yeah, and Norman is so he makes it sound like oh it's just a walk in the park, 
Yeah. No, nothing. It's a dark movie. It's a dark movie. <laughs> nothing yeah. to see here. No. Um, but no, it's super, super, super dark. Dark. And so, Norman, I forgot to ask you: Had you ever seen uh, McMurray? And McMurray plays an awesome villain. I, villain. I wish he'd have played more villains. Well, um, when this movie, when I first saw this movie when I was a kid, I had known him as the dad from my three sons. Absolutely, like, all of us. And and Flubber and an absent-minded professor yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, at that point, he had, like, this goofy kind of, like, dad, you know, persona. So when I saw this movie, I thought, first of all, like, he was kind of hot. Like, you know, and I think that... <laughs> Well, he is. I mean, like he's 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 you know a young man here. He's like in his early thirties. Yeah. He's and he, I think he kind of works this sort of Lothario thing very okay. well. It's, it was a surprise to me to see this other dimension mm -hmm. uh, to him. So what? He, so I was getting to the point. So his another time he played a villain was in Pushover with Kim Novak, like about maybe almost ten years later or something like that. Seventeen years later. Had you have you seen that? I haven't. I haven't. I think I did see him in a movie where he plays like a really mean, like executive, like in the 50s. yes, the apartment. He did. He did. Oh my god, yes. yes Wasn't he yes. good? In I mean, he plays a awesome villain. Yeah, he does. He had more range than I had originally given him credit. Yes, for, you know. yes, and yeah. it's not the same guy. They, they, all three of these guys are are horrible people, but right. he does not play them the same. And I, I and I'm glad you brought that up. Him in the apartment, he should have gotten up. At least, he may have gotten an Oscar nod, I don't know, but he should have won, in my opinion, because it played so against type, and he yeah. was an absolute heel in the yeah. apartment. I loved it. Yeah, it was brutal. Um, <laughs> and, and in, uh, you know, this this movie, um, Double Indemnity, you know, even his name, like Walter Neff, it's just kind of, kind of gives you a hint that, you know, it's just a funny name, you know, and, and, and it just kind of like, he, he, he kind of does this job of playing really kind of like a low-heeled kind of guy. Yes. I don't know how to describe it better than that. But, the, you know, he he's kind of a scrounger. Um, yeah. 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 So, so tell me, what, what did you think about, I guess you already told me, but the dynamic with him and Phyllis, um, Barbara Stanwyck's character, as, as a man. Yeah. Did you, did you think, who, okay, this is what I want to ask you. Who was in control? Who was really and control as a man did you feel some kind of way like oh man you punk or you, you know man you're weak or, or did you feel like hey he is just a dude being a dude i mean what did you think she worked him from the get-go <laughs> um, yeah, i really do i think she she just kind of reeled him in um and had him thinking he was you know working you know calling the shots but i think she really <laughs> i think the thing that's most interesting about her is a couple things you know it's barbara stanwick uh, the first time we see her, she's actually naked. She's yep. covered in a towel and she's like, oh my goodness. And then, you know, she comes down the stairs and she's still putting on her blouse. She's still kind of like, you know, arranging herself. And at the time, this was considered like really loosey-goosey kind of behavior. Yes, yes. And then you've got that wig, which is an oh. obvious cheap wig. Yes. And obvious and cheap is what she is. So that yes. wig is, when I first saw the movie, I was like, why did they put that yes. wig on her? Yes. <laughs> It's such a terrible choice, you know. It's right. Just, it's, it doesn't look good on her. It's actually kind of goofy. But find a picture of it. <laughs> when you think about it as something that's both obvious and cheap, it just it just tells you everything you need to know about yes. her. And you know, I think there are hints that she also may have had something to do with the 
uh, demise of her now husband's previous wife that was in the way. Um, so you kind of get the hint that she's just a roller. She's been she's been doing this for a while. Right, um, right. And he just kind of is a hapless kind of guy. He's like a real neff. He just kind of wanders into it and gets 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 spit up and chewed up and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I that's what I wanted to know. Or did you? Because I. That's why I want to get a guy's opinion because, okay, oh, I don't want to spoil it for everybody because I was about to ask you, did you think she really cared about him? But don't don't answer that. We, we, we can answer that off camera because a lot of people may have not seen this. But if you're a film noir or Stanwick or McMurray fan, you have seen this movie more than once. So I know I'm not spoiling it. But, um, oh, I, I... It's really worth seeing. If people haven't yeah. seen it, I would just like stop listening right now. It's really worth it. It's really worth it. Um, yes. Well, yes. It's a dark movie. You've got to be strapped in for something dark and something noir and nobody's nice. And no a, one's nice. It's a really cynical uh, worldview, but it's it's classic. And I love to look at um, the foreign movie posters. And yes, Edward yeah. G. What did you think about Edward G? We're going to get to uh, Shadow of a Doubt, guys, I promise. What well, did you think is, about him? You know, he had spent the previous decade being the number one bad guy. Yes. He was a bad gangster. So at this point in his career, he's playing like, you know, uncles and dads right. and, <laughs> and wise, you know, soft men. And yes. he's really in that movie against Joan Bennett where he's just like, uh, a simpleton and she just ropes him in and uh so he's he's at this point in his career where he's 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 kind of softening he he's you know and he's really charming in this movie i think that the relationship between the two men is just so sweet and so honest and, and they really care about each other that really comes across um yeah here's the wig now the wig yes. that looks terrible i mean it looks ridiculous it's so bad well, look how she's got the glasses like over the wig, which is I've never seen anybody do that in the world. Um, <laughs> that should have been a red flag right there. Okay, let me leave her alone. She ain't right. right. Anything else would run, but right. Walter Ness was like intrigued. So that's where that's what you need. Because he know. was cheap. You said it. He was low heel. He was a cheap, smarmy yeah. so and so, and yeah. so that's why they got with each other. Yeah. And they yeah. and they just were talking about what they were gonna do to her husband as if they was ordering from the food menu. That's like right. like nothing. But so this is one of the iconic scenes. And uh oh, I don't want to give away too much, but she she says one of the lines of lines in um and and I think she was nominated for this, but like I said, I think one time we were commenting on UFH's page. How did this woman who did she offend? Who hated yeah. her in Hollywood? How in the world did she not win a competitive Oscar just for this yeah. alone? Cause she yeah. set the tone for Femme Fatales after this. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, no, that she was she was definitely robbed, but um, several times. But what a great actress! What a, she was. She was another one who I believe was an independent as well. I don't think she was associated with a particular okay um, uh, studio. So that gave her a lot of range. Mm -hmm. uh, you see her quite a bit of stuff, so that's terrific. Well, that's probably was RKO in the beginning. Well, but, I think uh, that's probably was the part of it. Uh, a part yeah. of it. Um. She may have been uh, shaded, low-key shaded, or blackballed. You know, they couldn't stop her from being a star because people loved her. She She's another one who rarely made a bad f film. 
And yeah. even if the film wasn't that good, she was still great in it. So yeah. she was a star that couldn't stop her, you know. I would say that, you know, looking back on her movies now, they age a lot better than some of the ones that are in the top, you know, yes. five that usually go to. Like, her movies still hold up in a way that some of the other ones really, you know, just don't for various reasons. So. Absolutely. No, I totally yeah. agree. Okay, yeah. guys, we're going to, here we are. Oh, we're ready for, uh, the the movie we're supposed to be doing today, <laughs> Shadow of a Doubt. That was just an appetizer. <laughs> All right. So this is 1943, Shadow of a Doubt. And Norman, go ahead, and I'm going to queue up some mm. um, photos, and you can go go ahead on and get us started. Um, So the movie, it's a Hitchcock movie. It's shot in 1943. Um, it's, it's set in a, in a, you know, lovely, uh, you know, mi you know middle America, uh, on the West Coast, but, you know, definitely middle class America values and just charming uh, family. And there is, uh, you know, a, a young daughter in the family who's just, you know, kind of bored and she, she wishes for her Uncle Charlie to come back. And she's actually named for Uncle Charlie. And they seem to have this, like, you know, bond that's that's really quite sweet. Um, and then Uncle Charlie comes and, you know, things are not quite what they seem to be when Uncle Charlie shows up. And, um, and it, uh, well, I guess I'll stop there for now. <laughs> so we'll just give you a little background. Of course, this is Hitchcock. Hitchcock had been in the movies now because he kind of started off in silence, the silent yep. era. And so he had been maybe going on 20 years, uh, maybe not quite, but almost 20 years. And so, let me, Norman, let me ask you this, because we know when you say Hitchcock, you think of birds. Well, first thing of Psycho yep. and birds. Do you think Shadow of a Doubt gets lost in the sauce? It may. It's not as flashy. Um, it was very well received when it came out. Um, it was very, very well enjoyed and well viewed. Um, you know, this was, he, he had only been working in the United States for a couple of years. I think his first movie uh, for the Selznick Studios was um, Rebecca. Okay. Uh, and then he did Suspicion. Yeah, uh, the great, great, great so He's still pretty new in the game at, in America um, and still, you know, kind of establishing himself. And this movie really put him, uh, was really well regarded. And so um, I am kind of spoiling it just a hair. Now we saw it for free. I saw it for free on Tubi. I don't, I don't know where Norman saw it, um, but I saw it for free on Tubi and um, I think it's some other places. But yeah, so if you have that app, go and look at that. And I'm kind of jumping ahead, Norman, uh, what I have on the screen. But yeah. we saw Joseph Kahn. So let me go back um, and pull up Teresa, write a picture of her. So um, I don't know. Do you know anything? Do you have anything about Teresa Wright or, or oh, yeah. I want me to get yeah. into it? Oh, yeah. So she's another one who I think, you know, today is not as well remembered. Mm -hmm. But this woman um, in her first three movies um, got Oscar nominations. Sure did. Um, and so she, I think when you watch her now, she just seems so kind of natural. Yes. Uh, and she kind of, clearly the, what she was doing was appealing to people because she was, she was getting nominations at that caliber mm -hmm. from the very beginning of her career. Uh, and I think this movie gives you a great example of what, uh, people saw in her. She was very believable, very, very, you know, this movie's really supposed to be about like sort of American, uh, middle-class values and she just is right there um she just seems to be the girl that you would see next door right uh, you know um but you know 
there's a lot there. She was very intelligent as well. Mm -hmm. Beautiful woman. Beautiful. Um, and yeah, did, did a really you know, great job in the movies. Can't argue with that. And she actually and then, won yeah. for Miss Miniver, right? Mrs. Miniver, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So she was in uh, Pride of the Yankees. She was in yes. Mrs. Miniver. She was in this. So she was in, you know, pretty stellar movies right from the get-go. She didn't have like a, you know, a seedling time. She just mm -hmm. went right into the deep water. Um, right. So it and did she, very well. And she held yeah. her own because I first knew of her in The Little Foxes, of course, with All right. All uh, right. my girl, yep. our namesake. Yep. And um, Norm, we're going to have to get you to come back because, of course, we did that movie. But we're going to have to get you to come back and uh, revisit The Little Foxes with us. I could look at that like once a month. Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> That's just so I don't want to get derailed. I don't want to get derailed. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Um, but this is what Norma was talking about and when we were prepping for the show, that Norman Rockwell uh, type of vibe in this, in this all-American um, town. And yeah. so the the town and the people, they were like almost another character too. Right. Um, and, you know, I was saying earlier before we started that, you know, this is, this was, came out like smack dab in the middle of World War II. The war itself does not enter into the, the story world, but I think that that's what appealed to people that it presented this, this ideal Norman Rockwell kind of vision uh, of, of, you know, what we people aspire to. Um, but also Hitchcock being Hitchcock, he had to throw a monkey wrench in there and just kind of show <laughs> that there's a dark side to everything. And that's that's where the movie gets really cooking when we get into that more darker. Right. Stuff, underneath so, the surface. And yeah. so this is Hitchcock in, in this era. Um, and he is, this is him, I, I suppose, doing something on a set so and it's funny to see like quote unquote a younger Hitchcock because he has black hair and and everything he's still uh, you know portly or what have you but yeah so this is that era and so let's get a little bit into the plot well let's talk about Joseph Cotton I know you want to talk about the supporting cast what do you have for us about Joseph Cotton um, he was pretty terrific. I think uh, he's best remembered for, he was in The Third Man. He was in Citizen Kane, um, which was like a, you know, big production at the time. He, I believe he was also an independent. I don't know if he was associated with the studio, but, um, you know, always played these kind of suave kind of guys with just a little bit of, grit underneath them and in this movie i think he's really allowed to kind of showcase um both the charming side which is you know important to his character to be charming uh and also this darker uh side that uh really is perfect for this movie because this movie really does you know show both both you know the charm and the underbelly and so i think he's perfect in this movie and he was, uh, he cut his teeth on the stage, if you will. Uh, he uh, uh, was a stand-in for Melvin Douglas and on some stage stage work. And we know, and then he eventually hooked up with Orson Welles, like you mentioned uh, a minute ago. And so these were powerhouse actors. And yeah. this movie, to me, I wish it would get mentioned more with Hitchcock stuff. Because it it seems it seems understated. So let's try to give a little bit of the plot without giving it away. So t go ahead, Norman, and I'll cue up some um some photos for us. 
So there's some question about, you know, when we first see Uncle Charlie, he's kind of <laughs> living uh, a bit on the skids. And, you know, but he pre when he shows up to town, he presents as this, as this really uh, affluent guy. You know, he's spending money all over the place. He's, you know, wanting to, he's uh, given, you know, gifts, uh, you know, he, he, very expensive gifts. But he's, you know, if you look at the picture that he's living in a, in a, in a room, he rented a room. Right. You know, he's really on the skids. He's he's on the skids, and he's also seemingly on the run mm -hmm. because he's got people following him. And so we don't know why he's, you know, pretending to be this rich guy. We don't know why he's on the run, why people are looking for him. But there is this sort of uh, murder case that's going on. A uh, manhunt is going on for this guy called the Merry Widow Killer. And so it's assumed that, you know, he might have something to do with that. And so he goes to his probably one of the last resorts <clears throat> to to his sister um, to go live with a visit, quote unquote, his sister. But like you said, is he really visiting or is he hiding out? Um, and so let's talk about the supporting characters from the children who were. I'm like, kids ain't really like that. Like, so if I had to nitpick how they made the little girl, the uh, the little baby sister like cheering everybody like that but it was funny i guess you know yeah, um, so I mean, let's talk yeah, about he, the supporting cast he didn't really like kids um, <laughs> how you talking about hitchcock no i don't think hitchcock really <laughs> um, you know understood kids you know I, I think he just didn't know how to use them in movies really well mm -hmm. uh and and here's an example i mean she's she's cute she's adorable cute. It's, it's, you know, she, in the, she's on the phone, but she doesn't even wait for the person to respond. Like, you know, even pretend that like there's somebody on the other end of the phone. She just kind of recites her lines very well. Um, you know, she's good. I, I mean, there's really no reason. I mean, plot-wise, there's really no reason for these two kids to be I there. I was but saying they, the same they, thing. They do sort of fill out the family idea, you mm -hmm. know, a big a big house you know and the parents um, were too old to have had this because the mama will show her in the middle of, i'll find a picture i'm like y'all look like the grandparents well they probably you know they, they were probably only meant to be like 35 <laughs> you know? norman go they, sit down you go go stand up and sit down no get, they, no no they sir. do look a lot older than let me they find yeah here's dad yeah, I mean that's um, what's now. his name, Henry, Henry Travers. Is Harry Travers, Henry, who's best known as the Angel right. and a uh, It's life. a Wonderful right. Life. He's adorable, but you know, I think like if it, if Teresa writes characters just twenty years old, mm -hmm. so they might be forty. These people might be 40, 45 at most. Yeah, and they still look super old. But you know, people looked. Oh, we talked about this before. People yeah. looked so old back then. You yeah. know. Yeah, and then then uh, the mother is Patricia. Uh, um, is there oh any Coolidge? Not Coolidge. Um, it sounds like that. I'll find Coolidge, it. Um, who's just brilliant, uh, and she does kind of play this kind of you know, uh, you know, ditzy. College. There we go. College. Yeah, and she's she's quite, and that's a very matronly. You know, she's very played up to be this matronly mm -hmm. character. Um, mm -hmm. She was also brilliant. Um, her and Teresa Wright would be paired up earlier in the little foxes yes. together. Yep. Yeah, and she plays such a tragic figure. And she was and she wasn't tragic here. Uh but we knew it we knew because of the foreshadowing, you know, Hitchcock was a master at foreshadowing foreshadowing that she was gonna take something tragically, you know. Yeah. And and so 
this poor woman never had any happiness in the <laughs> movies, poor thing. Yeah. But um, so it perfectly cast once again. These are one of these movies that where the cast is absolutely perfect, and I totally appreciate that. Um, we're talk for a minute about the next door neighbor, Hume Cronin. Who yes. Just played, um, he's an odd duck too. I oh mean, yeah, I was wondering, and he yeah. and he later becomes a plot, a, a pivotal plot device. But I was wondering, I was wondering, like, what the heck are you doing there? Well, I think it introduces. So it's kind of funny because the the father and the next door neighbor are fascinated with true crime and yeah. murder. And it's sort of like Hitchcock's kind of wink to like that that true crime fascination. But when the crime is actually in your own home, right. that's a different story. You know, it's an right. enjoyable thing to kind of, and they tease each other like they're going to, you know, pretending to kill each other. And then they have this whole thing going on. <laughs> it but it's all, it's all a joke. It's entertainment. And right. and then, you know, the, the fact of the matter, like the actual crime, true crime is, um, is much, it's a much more different thing. Right. And um, yeah. we're not. I'm trying to say we don't have a. Unfortunately, have a picture of Hume Cronin and, and those. And it's so funny. Him and his wife, real life wife Jessica Tanda, they became famous. Yeah. Way later in their careers. I mean, I think Tandy like died not long after she won for um best actress for um Driving Miss Daisy. So yes. endurance, endurance. So we know Hume Cronin. He really became the prominence in Cocoon, and, and we plan on doing Cocoon, guys. That is on the list. Um of movies to do i don't have a picture on but yeah he was so quirky and weird and but again later on he became a huge uh part of the of uh the plot twist if you will no i don't have a a picture of him um we are almost out of time um and but please go and see please go and watch um shadow of a doubt um and we didn't talk too much about the fashion because it was pretty straightforward wasn't it norman yeah, I think fashion-wise, it's it's not gonna you know spark anything, but it's it's very everyday. You know, if you want to know what everyday uh, <clears throat> people wore, this this will this will be right up your alley. It's it's very um, it's like a slice of ideal Americana, yes. and I think that's interesting to think about in the context of the fact that you know we were in the midst of you know World War at the time, and and what it meant to people to see this movie at the time, um, and why it was so popular. Absolutely. So if you're a Hitchcock fan and uh, you don't want, you know, you want to see diff something different and gore and um, and just something like if you didn't know it was him, because he does. This is one of the few movies he doesn't appear because usually he would make a cameo. And if you blinked, you missed him. So he's on the train. He is. I'm, I he's blinked. I missed him. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he don't, he never he never misses an opportunity. He's on the train when Uncle Charlie is on his way to go see them. Oh gosh, uh, I missed it. Rosa, he's playing. He's got his back to the camera and he's playing cards, and he's holding. Oh. Um, holding like a winning hand. Um, Get yeah. out of here. I totally yeah. missed that. Okay, now, now see, now I got to go back and find. It's like, well, where's Waldo? Where's Hitchcock? So exactly. There he is. And I want to say that too, you know, the movie is very dark as well. I mean, it yeah. starts off with this beautiful, you know, ideal imagery, but it definitely presents uh, a darker side to things. And the, the idea that Uncle Charlie might be this, this murderer really gets under Teresa Wright's skin and really mm -hmm. starts to work through the rest of the movie. So it's, 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 it's Hitchcock. There's going to be tension. There's going to be suspense. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's not a Norman Rockwell painting. No, it is not. Yeah. 
And yeah. he has a thing for trains because he's his several of his movies and uh-huh. and uh the train is really a huge device in a, in a lot of his movies, which is fascinating. So if you're a train enthusiast, you know definitely look at look at this. Those old trains, they were so beautiful. They weren't they? And I mean, when you travel on a train back in the day, I mean it was class. You know, you could yeah. ha- have the it was different classes literally, but you could yeah. really travel in style back in those days um with the train. Um, so guys, yes, check out Shadow of a Doubt. Let us know what you think in the comments. Um, you know, do you agree with us? You disagree? Or let us know. Do you have different a different experience when you watch the movie? And and especially, what did you think about uh, Joseph Cotton in this really dark turn? Um, were you were you uh, did you know what's going to happen? Because um, I had seen it before, Norm, Norman, had, both of us had seen it before. I, I hadn't seen it in a long time, but Norman had seen it several times. I only had seen it once before. And when I first looked at it, I had no idea. I kind you know, you kind of think, but, it, I, you know, because I'm going to stop talking, but look at it because you, you, it, it played, you are sucked into this movie, aren't you, Norman? You are, you are in the movie with these people. I know I was. Yeah, and I think part of that is is the the great casting. You know, Hitchcock. You know, he thought like you know his entire movie was planned out before he even ran a shot. He he thought like you know he did the back work, he did the story, the plot, and then he decided to hire like the best people to play the roles, and he basically let them do what they did. He apparently most actors said he was kind of hands off, like he had planned already in his head, and as long as you did you know, what he asked you to do, um, he was fine. And I think that he got some very natural uh, performances out of these people. And I think that's what helps you get sucked in because they they do, they seem, you know, pretty, except for the little girl who's just terrible. Um, they seem like a real, they seem like real people. Yes. They seem like people that, you know, you could be interested in what's going on with them. And, right. And, yeah. Right. And so, yeah. um, guys, we're going to stop it right there. Thank you yeah. so much. Our... Go ahead, Norman. I'm sorry. I should say anytime. Thank you so much. And I fun. and our next live, and I said I I have the calendar, so the the audio of this will be uploaded next Saturday. Okay, so the audio, the audio, the audio of this. But our next live will be on October the 14th, and you're gonna join us again, Norman. For uh, is in name only. Is that correct? Um, either in name only, there was another movie I think you had suggested, Let perhaps Jewel Night Robbery. Of the... Yeah, Jewel Robber. I think it was Jewel yeah, Robber, right? Yeah, well, definitely, definitely keep me in your Rolodex. Okay, sure. yeah, I think you said yeah. it was Jewel Robber, so that's that's yeah. coming up, um, I okay. think in November. Yeah, all righty, all right. So, guys, see you again live on the 14th. Um, don't forget to hit us up on Facebook. We really appreciate you. Shout out to Ultimate Fashion and History, the William Powell and Myrna Lloyd, the Fred McMurray fan page, the Betty Davis fan page, and Joan Crawford, and so many, many, many more. Let's keep these movies alive. You guys take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
SEPERTI INI